Jesus, we want to thank you for your presence with us right now. Lord, we salute you, we honor you as our King of kings and our Lord of lords. Lord, the ruler of our life and the ruler of our heart and our being, our mind and our spirit. Father, we want to thank you that your smile is over your children right now. That you dreamed us up, that you love us to bits. Thank you, Lord, for the joy that we can have playing in your smile. That we never leave your sight. And Lord, we never leave your love. And thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here in power and love and truth. And we pray, come, fill us afresh. Let every part of our being be filled with you. And Lord, would we turn that back to glory, to the Son and to the Father. May we be your people through and through as we acknowledge who you are, the creator of all, the maker of all, the shaker of all, the holder of all. Thank you that our life is held in your grip. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, team. And hello. You know, it really is lovely to be here with you today. I mean, thanks for having me over. And, and I really want to say thanks so much for giving up a long weekend, for, for deciding not to go away for this long weekend solely that you can be here tonight to listen to me. You know, it wasn't expected, but, but it is appreciated. Uh, as was mentioned, my name's Richard. I head up an organization called Strength to Strength, which, which really has as its aim to help people succeed with life. To help people succeed with this life that Jesus said that he came to bring us, but a life that many people have found to be anything but easy and certainly not abundant. So I lead a team of people, we counsel, we coach, we supervise, we help people to, to, to break through and break free into all that God has for them. And I love what I've been called into. It's a privilege. We also run a variety of courses, of training events. I'm, I'm currently in the middle of running one that's on becoming emotionally strong. And next month, we're doing one on, in the evening on People Smart. How to get on well with those difficult people in your life. People who might be sitting beside you right now. <laughs> and so as such, it, it's, a, it's a joy to be able to take my place within the series that you're looking at on relationships. And what I've been asked to do is to look specifically at the topic of boundaries. And so in the time that we've got remaining with us, what I want to do is look not just around boundaries, but I want to look specifically at what do healthy, constructive boundaries look like within conflict when you're in a conflicting, tense kind of situation, what does that actually look like for us to be in a healthy place? Because what I'll find is that many people get themselves caught up in what I refer to as the dance. You know what you're going to do and say. You know what the other person's going to do and say. You know how this all ends up and it always sucks. And it never seems to change. And that's because we've got our boundary lines mixed up and messed up. 
And so tonight what I want to do is I want to take you to a passage of Scripture where Jesus helps us straighten out these boundary lines, where he speaks specifically about conflict and healthy boundaries within conflict. Does that sound okay? Great, it does to the front row. I don't know what's happened to everyone else, but maybe you'll join us later. I see that hand of affirmation. Praise you. And so what I want to do is I want to take you to a passage of Scripture here. And if you've got your Bibles with you, because you're all Bible-loving Christians, if you've got your Bibles with you, crack them open to Matthew 7. If not, you can follow along on the screen, because we'll put the words up here as well. But we want to have a look at what does Jesus tell us are healthy boundaries when it comes to relationships. And here we read in Matthew 7, Jesus says, Do not judge, so that you may not be judged. For with the judgment that you make, you will be judged, and the measure you give will be the measure you get. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your neighbor, let me take the speck out of your eye, while the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. Tell me, how many people have heard this passage before? Wow, pretty much everyone. Tell me then, let's just raise the ante a bit, how many people say they reckon they've heard this passage at least five times or more? We'll read it. Okay, Mosa, let's just keep going. How many people have heard this passage at least 10 times? Yeah, all right, now you're really pushing. Okay, 20? 50? Not so many. But we've heard this a lot, haven't we? I mean, this is a really familiar passage to us. So much so that this can be one of those passages where we anethnotize ourselves to the meaning and to the words of what Jesus says. It's just one of those passages we're so used to hearing, it just sort of rolls off our back. We don't really engage with it so much. And so what we do with a passage like this is we relegate it to the Sunday school so that they can get to know the words of Jesus. And it's got some sort of interesting sort of imagery so they can play and have a bit of fun with that. But for us, you know, we're ready for the real meat. We're ready for the next level kind of teaching. Whereas in this, what we find in this passage, but also in a lot of these passages, is that when we slow ourselves down and we break it open and we dive into the passage and actually apply the words, it profoundly and fundamentally changes us. I mean, that would be true pretty much of all of Jesus' words, wouldn't you say? When we actually slow ourselves down and take his words seriously and apply them, we can't but become different. And in terms of conflict, when we look at this passage and we slow it down and we dive into it and we understand it and apply it, our conflict, our habits in conflict will not be the same. They can't. They will always change. And so in this... What I want to do with you for tonight is simply that. I want us to slow it down. I want us to dive on in, to to crack the sucker open and suck the marrow from the bone. Will you stick with me in that? Great. So with that, if we go to the passage and we slow down, what we see that Jesus says right at the beginning are these three 
simple words. Do not judge. Now, I don't know about you, but I can hear a passage like that, you know, when Jesus says, don't judge. I can go, you know what? This really isn't an issue for me. You know, it might be an issue for other people. But for me, if you were to look at my life and the way that I am with people, I'm not a judger. I don't lay judgments on other people. I'm not judgmental. I don't condemn people. You know, not much anyway. You know, just perhaps a little bit occasionally. Depends on if they cut me off in traffic. But, you know, it's not much. But, you see, what I find is, We can often fall into the trap of that. But if we look at this passage through the lens of conflict, what we find is that we fall into the trap of judging others and being judgmental so very easily and so very often. As we judge and place our interpretation on someone else's behavior, on their words, and even at times on their very being. See, maybe you've heard some of this spoken out from time to time, uh, that, that you've heard people say things like, you know, you are just so insensitive. That we've heard people say, you know, you're so uncaring. You're lazy. You're not listening to me. I feel rejected by you. We can hear people say things like, you always do this, and you never do what I've asked you to do. I don't know, do any of these words seem familiar, perhaps to you or or to those around you? This is what we fall into time and time again. And what happens when we do this is we start to place our interpretation, our judgment on what is someone else's motivation, on what is someone else's intentions of what they're meaning. And at that point, that is a boundary violation. Because a person's intentions, their motivation is on their side of the boundary line. Now, we might have our speculation as to what's motivating them. We might have our hunch as to what's going on inside of them. But honestly, we don't really know. We're just taking a guess. And what happens is as soon as we start to label what they're doing on their side, well, now... Now we just simply start a different fight, a fight about what they were intending and how they didn't really mean to be that way. And we've missed the point of what the argument or the conflict was over in the first place because now we're having a conflict over what your intentions really were. Ever been in a conversation like this? And what happens is it's because we are judging. And when we do that, we do so often unfairly. See, let me ask you, how many people here like to be misjudged? What, no one? So let's check on that. How many people here, when you are misjudged, you know, it's uncomfortable. You find that it's somewhat disturbing. How many would say that? Is it most of us? But let's look at that at another level. How many people here, when you are misjudged, you wouldn't just say that it's uncomfortable, You'd say that it's downright distressing when you are misjudged. There's something in us that can feel triggered by that. So if it's something that we know we don't like when people misjudge us, we need to become aware of that when we start to step over the boundary line and we start to judge and misjudge other people, their intentions, what they're thinking, what they're feeling, Because in one sense, we don't really know. And as soon as we start to judge, at times before even a word is said, 
we've already inflamed the situation. And then we just get into an argument over what they were really meaning. And you see, what also makes us even worse is when we realize that what we're doing when we judge is we are labeling and putting a judgment on another person who is someone who is created in the image of God. You see, what we don't realize is that when we start to judge, we enter some very dangerous territory here. You see, the Bible says that we are body, soul, and spirit. That that's sort of how we're made up. We're these, this triune being. And at the core of who we are is spirit. Now, spirit, in this deep place, this is what I refer to as the I am of who I am. You know, our God is Yahweh. He is the great I am. He is I am who I am. He is I am sort of the fundamental baseline for the universe. But but we're created in his image. And there's a sense that there is an I am in who we are in the core of our being. And how you finish that I am, I am what, will determine how healthy or how dysfunctional you are. It speaks of life or death to who you are. It speaks of whether there is a sense of well-being there or not. You see, if we took you and we peeled back the layers down to the core of your being, into the I am, how would we find that you finish your I am? I am loved. I am worthy. I am significant. I'm acceptable, I am wanted? Or deep down in that I am, do we find that you finish it off? I am rejected, unloved, not good enough, a failure. Or perhaps we even find that it's a conditional I am. I am worthy so long as everyone approves of me. I am significant so long as I achieve top grades. You know, I am acceptable so long as I gain people's approval and they like me. We can have a very conditional I am. But you see, what we don't realize is that I am is a very sacred place. That honestly, there is but one who has the right to finish the I am of who you are. It's only our God who has the right to determine how your I am is finished. And you see, when we start to add our own words to our I am, we start to violate his boundary. When we start to inflate our I am beyond who God would say we are, or diminish our I am beyond what God would say that we are, we've now stepped over the boundary line. You see, because if you add additional words, if you inflate who you are, that is pride. But if you diminish who you are compared to how God would say you are, that is pride. Because you are saying that you know better than God as to who you are. But in this place, we only allow him to finish who we truly are. This is a sacred place. Now, my friends, that's just me talking about how we do it to ourselves. But if that's a sacred place in us, then we've got to ask, 
Who are we to finish off anyone else's I am? Who are we to place a label on them? Who are we to judge them? Because when we do, we step over God's boundary line. We've actually violated what's his territory, and it's not ours. This is why it says earlier on in the Matthew passage, where Jesus says, you've heard you're not to murder. That's great. But I tell you this, if you label who your brother or sister is, and you call them raka, which is a labeling judgmental term that says, you empty-headed idiot. I consider it just as bad. Who are we to judge? And you see, this is why we see in this passage where Jesus starts us off, we get an understanding why we are not to be people who judge. We've overstepped the boundary line. We're judging someone else's intentions, their motivation, but we're also beginning to label the very core of a being who God has created, and we need to stay on our side. Are you seeing that? Do not judge. You're in the wrong territory when we begin to judge. Now, we're called not to judge because that's not our territory, but what we can do, what we can do is describe. What we can do is describe behavior that we see coming from another person. You see, behavior comes from a person and it begins to influence and interact in my life. Behavior is something that's concrete between us. Behavior is something that we can look at and we can describe without interpreting it, without adding our judgment to it. And that can be really helpful. As you say, I've noticed that you've turned up late each morning. We might say, I've noticed that you seem to leave your coffee cup around the house without actually putting it in the dishwasher. We might say, I've noticed that the lawns haven't been mowed this week. We might say, I've noticed that you haven't handed in the report that I asked you to do. We might say, I've noticed that you did nothing for our anniversary. (laughs) We might say, honey... I noticed tonight you spent a long time talking to that very handsome young man, regularly laughing at his jokes and occasionally touching his arm. We might describe the behavior that we're seeing without labeling it, without placing our judgment on it, because that's something that we can now address. That's what, something that we can now speak to. And when we describe without judging, now we're beginning to own our zone. So the first thing that Jesus gets us to do before we even enter into a conversation with the other person is to stay on our side of the boundary line and not judge, but simply describe. The second thing we see Jesus telling us here is he tells us to take the log out of our eye before we take the speck out of our neighbor's eye. Now what absolutely ludicrous language we see here. I mean, this is just fabulously uh, extraordinary, isn't it? I mean, Jesus must have had his crowd, his audience rolling in stitches as he created this image of a person carrying around a log in their eye, busily chasing someone else, trying to flick out, to, to scrape out a speck in their eye. I mean, it's just silly language, isn't it? I mean, this is just ludicrous. But he does so in order to put the emphasis and the focus back on our side. 
You see, in all the counselling that I do, whether I counsel couples who are in conflict or I counsel uh, parental child relationships or I counsel between friends or, or business partners, when things tend to go wrong, when things seem to get into conflict, one of the things that I've noticed that everyone in conflict has in common is they're each very aware of what the other person is doing wrong. You discovered that? See, what happens at this place is the relationship begins to stall and shut down as we get very clear on what the other person's doing wrong rather than in what we're doing wrong here. But you see, what Jesus does is he puts the emphasis back on our side. In this, despite not knowing what is going on in your life, Jesus says that the person responsible here is you. You see, what happens here when we get into this focus on what everyone else is doing wrong, the pattern, this way of being, is known as maximizing and minimizing. So within that, what we do is we maximize someone else's contribution. You should see what they're doing. You should see how they're behaving. And we minimize our contribution. You know, in all of this, sure, I'm not perfect, but really my part is just a tiny small bit. We maximize their part. We minimize our contribution. And in this place, what's really interesting is without knowing your situation, Jesus says that the log is in your eye and the speck is in their eye. And we know Jesus got it wrong. Because honestly, when I'm in conflict, the person who's got a ruddy great log in their eye isn't me. It's them. The only thing I've got really is just a speck. But isn't it interesting? And not knowing our situation, Jesus puts the emphasis back on our side. And he gets us to focus on our contribution here. He gets us to clean up our side of the street before we focus on their side of the street. You know, when my wife and I, we, we were living in Melbourne for a time. This was back before we had children a number of years ago now. And, and we lived in Coburg, which is sort of like the heart of the Turkish community. And, and we had a Turkish family living next door with three generations. We had grandma and granddad, we had the parents, and we had the children. And they also had a dog called Pombik. That was this moth-eaten creature that had sadness in its eye that looked like it was saying, just kill me now. <laughs> Pombic has since died. But in this, in, in our life with, with our and Turkish neighbors was quite interesting at times. And I remember at one point looking out at our, um, through the window outside to our, our back lawn and where our boundary line was, we had our fence, but there were a few palings missing and there were sort of like gaps between it. And I could see that on their side, they had this compost bin, which was fine, but the compost bin was overflowing. Food scraps were sort of piling out of it, scattered, um, just cluttering around the base of it. Old apple cores, banana peels, all of that sort of thing. And, and what I remember is I was looking out of the window watching with these mice going from our side over, eating food and then disappearing through our property across to someone else's property and beyond. And I was thinking, you know, this isn't necessarily all that good. But our neighbor, the, the granddad, came to speak to me one day and he says, Richard, he says, there are mice. 
And I said, yeah, I can see that. He said, there are mice coming from your side onto my side. And I was thinking, yes, that's because you're offering them a mice buffet. So, of course, they're going to go to your side and eat all the food. He said, this isn't good. He says, you need to clean up your backside. I said, my what? He says, you clean up your backside. Oh, my backyard. He says, yes, snakes. I said, you've seen snakes. He says, could be. I said, oh, okay. I said, I'm happy to mow the lawns and rake up the grass, but you might want to consider doing something to that compost bin. Oh, that's got nothing to do with it. But I love that phrase that he gave me. You need to clean up your backside. And what Jesus is telling us here in this passage is that we need to clean up our backside before we ever think about cleaning up someone else's backside. Now, that's put a very different image in your mind, hasn't it? The emphasis comes back on our side. We have to address our side before we start to focus on someone else's side. And why is that? Because Jesus is big on restoring relationships. And he's big on making us responsible for seeing relationships restored. You know, we get Matthew 18, where it's the passage where Jesus says, hey, if you've got something against your neighbor, you need to go and tell them what the issue is and sort it out with them. And if that doesn't work, there are a few other steps that you're going to follow. And what he also says in Matthew 5, is that if you're heading to the temple for worship and you know that someone has something against you, what you need to do is leave your gift. First, go and resolve the issue with that person and then come back and offer your gift at the temple. Now, what I love about this is tell me this. If you have an issue with someone, according to Matthew 18, whose responsibility is it to sort it out? It's yours. But if we follow Matthew 5, if you know someone else has an issue with you, tell me now whose responsibility is it to sort it out? It's still yours, isn't it? You can't get away from this. It doesn't matter whose issue it is. Jesus makes you responsible for initiating the restoration of that relationship. Now, you can't take full responsibility to see the relationship restored because that takes two people. But for the initiating, that responsibility he puts in your lap and in my lap. Now, this is completely countercultural, isn't it? Because if we know that we find that we've got an issue with someone, that we find that they haven't been treating us nice, that perhaps we've been hurt by them, well, if they really care, they'll notice, won't they? And they'll come and talk to me about it and they'll sort it out. Because I'm not going to go to them. I'm not going to open myself up to be hurt again. I mean, that's, that's far beyond that. If they actually care, they will come to me. And if they don't, I'll just cut them off. And people go from one cut-off relationship to the next cut-off relationship. Or if we find that someone else has got an issue with us, we go, well, if they've got an issue with me, they can come and talk to me. I mean, I'm open to listen to them, whatever they want to say. You know, I'm not going to go chasing them. If they've got the issue, they can come and talk to me. They need to put on their big kid pants and come and sort it out. And yet, that's our normal cultural response. Jesus is countercultural, and he says, whoever's got the issue, the responsibility for initiating to sort it out is in your camp. It's in your zone. We need to sort this out. Because as we do so, 
we go against our very standard human responses. You see, our standard human responses, as we want to point out what's the issue in someone else's eye, we move into what is often called a victim mindset. We move into a reactive mindset. And I'm going to describe to you a little bit about the way this looks. And I want you to see, does this ring any bells for you? See, a victim mindset knows three key things. The first thing that a victim mindset knows to, is to, I get to blame you for how I feel. You see, I may have been feeling fine until you failed to do or say what I needed you to do or say or because of what you have done, and now I'm feeling a certain way. So why am I feeling this way? It's because of what you've done. So you're to blame. Now, if you're to blame for how I feel, I also get to justify how I act and react to you. Because I'm just evening the score. I'm just making thing, my point known. I'm just pushing back on you. There should be no extra consequences that come my way. Because this is just my retaliation to you and how you're being. And the third thing that we do in our victim mindset is we wait. We wait for the other person to come and apologize to us because we're that magnanimous. We will also wait for the other person to change because ultimately... They are the one with the problem, not us. But you see, when we behave that way, when we operate that way, guess how the other person now feels? They now feel like they're your victim. And they know they can blame you for how they're feeling. They can justify whatever response they make towards you. Because now they're just evening the score or making their point known. And they'll wait They'll wait for you to come and apologize to them. They'll wait for you to change because ultimately you are the problem anyway. And you see, my friends, that is the dance that we get ourselves into. Let me ask you, what happens to a relationship when you've got two people behaving in this victim mindset kind of way? The relationship disintegrates really quickly. It pulls apart. It breaks down. But you see, when we follow what Jesus is saying here, let's not judge and let's deal with the log in our own eye first. Now, now we can follow the words of what Paul said, where he said, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So you see, there's this overcomer's mindset, this responsive mindset that's the opposite of this. And the responsive mindset in all of this is, in one sense, is the complete opposite of what we saw with the victim mindset. And in the overcomer's mindset, the overcomer's mindset knows, first of all, I have to take responsibility for how I feel. Your behavior may need to be corrected, but my feelings are my responsibility because they recognize this one key truth. No one can make you feel a certain way. You're feeling that way all by yourself. No one is putting an emotion in you. It comes from within you. Now, please don't mishear me. This isn't saying suck it up, buttercup, and just allow them to do whatever they want. This is saying that the emotion that comes from you is under your jurisdiction. It's on your side of the boundary line. How you feel is on your side of the boundary line. And so I have to teach my clients that you've got to own your ouch When someone does something and something inside goes, ow, 
That's on your side of the boundary line. It comes under your jurisdiction. So you have to own that. And as a result of that, the second thing that the overcomer's mindset takes responsibility for is how I treat you, of how I respond to you. The overcomer's mindset makes sure that whatever I do or say needs to be constructive to the relationship. So when you look at your behavior towards another person, when you look at that behavior in the cold light of day, if it is not constructive to the relationship, it is never justified. And so anything that comes from us needs to be something that's constructive and helpful to healing the relationship, to bringing health into the relationship. And the third thing in our overcomer's mindset is rather than waiting, we initiate. We initiate an apology for anywhere we have overstepped the mark, where we have blamed another person, where we have treated them poorly. We look for any kernel of truth of where we have contributed to this relationship breaking down, and that's what we apologize for, what we can genuinely apologize for. So we initiate an apology from our side, but the second thing we initiate is to actually address the issue. Not attack the person, but address the issue. And when we take responsibility for how we feel, for how we behave, and for resolving the situation, now we're in an overcomer's mindset. And the overcomer's mindset leans on its responsibility for what's on my side of the boundary line. They own their zone. Rather than the victim mindset, which wants to lean its weight on their rights as the victim rather than resolving the issue. So my friend, when we read all of this and we start to move into this overcomer's mindset, we start to to take the log out of our own eye. Well, now, now we stop inflaming the situation so we can start to resolve it. Now we stop being a part of the problem so we can actually be a part of the solution. Because do you realize that when you're in the heat of a reactive moment, no one wants to hear your wisdom. I mean, you know how we could sort this out and settle it. No one seems to want to hear you. But when you've cleaned up your side, when you've cleaned up your backside, now you have the right to speak. So my friends, when it comes to conflict, let's own our zone and stay on our side of the boundary line. Do not judge and take the log out of your eye before you seek to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. Are you with me? Can we stand let's, and pray? Can I get the, the worship team back up, please? Just where you are right now, I just want you to pause in yourself and allow the Spirit of God to do a reality check in you. In all of your relationships... Where is the Spirit highlighting what needs to change? In all of your relationships, where is the Spirit highlighting a relationship where He's calling you to initiate, to take a step towards healing and restoration? 
Lord, in this place, we put ourselves before you. We humble ourselves into your hands. And we ask, come, search us, test us, try us. Lord, as we apply your words, change us. And Lord, from that place, as we look at the relationships around us, highlight for us where healing needs to take place, where restoration needs to take place.